0: Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward.
1: And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagle. And on this particular episode, I get the pleasure and the privilege, or I should say, we... Get the pleasure and the privilege of talking with Greg Nettle, who is the president of Stadia, the church planting organization that actually supported me, led me to where I am on the Central Coast. So this is a big deal for me personally. And this is powerful because Greg is going to tell his story of how God has moved him into an area where he never probably thought he would go for the reason and the purpose of racial reconciliation and healing, which I don't know if there's a greater topic to be discussing in this season of the world and especially the United States where we find ourselves in. So Greg, thank you for being willing to come on and and chat with Kim and I.
2: Yeah. So Kurt and Kim, it's just such an honor to be on, on the podcast and Kurt, I know that that Stadia was able to serve you, but really the privilege was ours. You're one of my favorite people. And I I just love you every time I'm with you. I love your infectious laugh and just your heart for Jesus. And so it really is a privilege. So Kurt, I'm working from a premise as we kind of talk through these things. And the premise is that one of our family values, really of my wife and I, we do our best, uh, not always succeeding, but to always say yes to God. And I say it this way, when you say yes to God, if you always say yes to God, it sometimes won't be easy. It often will be painful, but it will always be good. Okay. It will always be good. And so when I'm talking about always saying yes to God, and we talk about all this stuff, you know, I've been in, in ministry, church planting and church leadership and just life, marriage and parenthood for a lot of years now. And when we say yes to God, it will send us down these paths that are filled with adventure and brokenness and healing as God sanctifies us, right? As he calls us to be more like Jesus. And so the always say yes to god from for julie and i it's certainly if he's moving us somewhere or if he's calling us to something new but it's also when we've got sin in our lives and we need to confess that sin or get healing from that or get healing in our marriage those are all yeses to god right and that's why i say you know it's a lot of times it's not easy it's often painful but it's always good if you do say yes
1: wow So what is one of the ways that you've said yes to him more recently?
2: God started, um, I think he's had our family on a journey for years, but I think the ask of God or the direction of God has come way more recently, just as just a few months ago. But the way it started was about three years ago. The organization I lead, Stadia Church Planting, we began this journey of kingdom diversity, is the way I'll say it. And asking the question, so Stadia started, you know, uh, 20 years ago and started as a basically an all white male organization planting large white churches in White suburbs. That's just the truth of the matter. And I believe with all of my heart that God you know started stadia, and so there's there's no apologies for how it was started or anything. It's just the way God called it to be birthed. But along the way, as stadia has grown, you know two years ago, I know the stat was stadia helped start four hundred and fifty six new churches, and forty percent of those were with plant church planters of color, okay? Non-white and men and women okay so a big shift from where we started what we didn't realize was that many of our systems and processes were actually putting up barriers and doing damage even to planters of color that were coming through our systems and processes and so we began a really hard self inventory and self-searching of ourselves as an organization Which then, of course, you can't do that without that really hard look at yourself and us as a family and all of our staff asking the same questions. And then coming to a point of saying, wow, God, we need to repent and drive a stake in the ground because your picture in Revelation 7 9 is every tribe and tongue and race and nation worshiping you. And so we did that. We actually made a public statement of repentance and, you know, asked forgiveness for anyone that, that we'd hurt or inadvertently put barriers in front of. And it was a painful time, you know, just to be real candid with you and the response from the people of color community was overwhelmingly positive positive. But we took some and I personally took some pretty big hits from my brothers and sisters, you know, in our white world. And this is the first time I've talked about this publicly. So it's it's still a little bit raw and a little bit painful. But the Stadia story is I, I just love it. Right. Because. All of our systems and processes have been overhauled and, and our team is diversifying and our advisory team is fully diverse and our board is fully diverse now. And it's, you know, and it's all happened in three years. And I know we still have a long way to go, but it's just been crazy watching what God has done. We have so much to learn, but it's so fun. Again, that adventure when you say yes is fun. Now, at a personal level, this is where it got a little more challenging for me, because I never considered myself a racist, never an intentional racist. You know, my wife and I adopted our son, Elijah, 14 years ago. Uh, He's this beautiful young man, a freshman in high school now, and he's a little beautiful African-American boy. So our household, you know, we've kind of grown up a multiracial household in some ways, but in a lot of ways, not so much because the community where I lived and served, you know, as senior pastor of River Tree for 25 years was a 98% white community. And so, you know, if my son would have started high school down there this year, he would have been one of 2000 students and about there were about 12 African-American kids in the in the high school we started doing some real self-examination i had some great mentors around me that were helping us ask questions we brought a guy on our staff named yukon chu who is just so good at this and he became our kingdom diversity catalyst asking all kinds of questions at an organizational and personal level and so i guess what i'm saying is you know we just kind of opened ourselves up wide open to surgery kurt and kim and just said you know god have at us and then on that journey, you know, some things we realized, so I, I, I'm very comfortable with people of color, you know, Stadia in our global work, it's all people of color that we're working with. And so that was very, very common. You know, a lot of our church planters now way more than eight years ago are planters of color. But what I realized was that we had colored glasses on, if you will, tinted glasses, when it came to people of color. And what we recognized was that Julie, my wife, she had been a big sister to Rose in the big sister program. And Rose lived in downtown Canton in poverty, but Rose kind of grew up. Rose was with us from the time she was six years old until 18 and she would come to our house frequently and she went on vacation with us and she would come for cookie baking at Christmas and you know all of these things. And it was a great relationship in our life. We adopted our son. We sponsored children of color, literally all around the world, um, through our partnership with Compassion International. Here, here was the problem, Kim. We realized that when it came to people of color, it was basically our relationships were basically people that we were helping or trying to help, and so we were the great white saviors, if you will. Now, I commend anyone that's doing the things we were doing. Okay, those those are good things. But they're not good enough if that's the only relationships you have with people of color are helping relationships or any culture that you're, you're working in. And, you know, just let me say up front, too, that, man, I hope I don't offend anyone because um, I hope you'll offer me grace because we're just in the midst of this journey. And I know I don't use all the right verbiage and I'm, I'm trying to learn and figure it all out. <laughs> but, you know, Kurt, it's hard. Like, it's like walking through a minefield sometimes. And believe me, I've stepped on several. And so we started recognizing that. We went through a an evaluation called IDI, which was kind of evaluated where you were on, you know, okay, you're a complete racist idiot, or you're actually a really good follower of Jesus representing, you know, the kingdom of God here on earth. And it, it graded you like one to 10 and, and I thought, man, I've done, this is just a year ago and I thought I've done so much work on this and da, 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 da. And I came back at a solid five right in the middle. And so then, you know, we got this coach from that and, and she was an African American woman and she was talking to me and she got my story more. And, you know, I, I, I grew up in this little town, Clinton, Ohio, which was, I think it was all white just a little country town in Clinton, all white people, you know, went to a school system where it was all white all the way through high school, except we got one foreign exchange student from Brazil that was the only person of color in my, in my whole school system. And then I went to seminary and my undergrad seminary. I mean, I could count on one hand the people of color that were in that seminary, it was all white. And then I moved to Ireland to plant a church, which is a very white country. And then God calls me back to Northern Ohio to, you know, to what would become River Tree, and to this community that's 98% white. Okay. So I've spent my entire life in Whiteland. Now here's the fascinating thing. I had no choice in where I was born. That was God's providence, right? So he places me in an all white community. I didn't have a choice on where I went to high school. So that's not Greg Nettle's choice. That's just the way it is. And then seminary, I did choose. I went to Cincinnati Christian University. God called me to Ireland. So that a crystal clear call to Ireland. Okay. So I believe that was a call of God. Then God, I believe in second crystal clear call, called me to what would become Rivertree. And so with those calls of God on my life, I'm not being disobedient in that. But the reality is I have to recognize the deficiencies sometimes in the character that God wants to develop in me, just simply because of where I lived and where I grew up. And so this coach was so kind and gracious, but she just said, Greg, it's amazing. You're a five on this scale because she said, white males, especially who have grown up like you have really don't typically deal with any of this stuff. And she said, and then she said this to me, she said, so if you want to become fully who God wants you to be, if you really want to deal with this stuff in your life, you and your wife, then you can't stay where you are. And I was like, well, what do you mean stay where you are? And she said, like, live where you are and we you know we've been there in that community for 30 years and so then julie and i are starting to go huh so we we looked we looked really hard at moving into the city of canton inner city and just no doors opened there and so just um you know seven months ago or so uh december of 2021 however long ago that was julie and i drove up to cleveland which was an hour a little over an hour north of where we were living in the suburbs south of there And we went to see the Van Gogh experience and the botanical gardens, which we love. And we're driving home. And I looked at Julie and I said, we could live in Cleveland. And we needed to stay relatively close because both of our parents are aging. And so we needed to be within you know, driving distance to care for them as they continue to age. So it wasn't like we could say, well, we could move into downtown Atlanta or or wherever, but Cleveland was an option. And so no kidding, three months later, our house went on the market and four months later we had bought a condominium in the city of cleveland so we went through from this big house on three wooded acres in the suburbs to this condominium you know i look out my window right now and i see lake Erie and i see the city skyline and the train runs right in front of our house my son elijah who's a freshman here in the public school system catches the train every morning and takes the rta to school i mean it is this monstrous life change and it was scary and to be honest with you, Curt and Kim, most people didn't understand it. Um, they're like, what in the world are you doing? But it was God's call on our life. It was part of the adventure, right? And so we said, yes. Have there been some hard moments? Yeah, but is it good? Um, we've never been better. So I'll stop there because I've just been going on and on with the story, Curt.
1: <laughs> no, man, that's fascinating
0: okay, so what have been some of the big challenges? I can't imagine moving from three acres, lots of space to the city that's that's actually probably my nightmare right there <laughs> uh, I like my space. I live in a small town for a reason, but what have been some of the challenges or and even in the challenges, what have been like some of the cool god things that have come about because yeah, of I- moving?
2: You know, so since I've moved to Ireland where I planted my first church and I didn't know anyone there. So I had to, you know, build all brand new relationships like it was crazy, Kurt. You know, that was just stupid. But thank you, God, because he called me there. But since that time, I've never lived anywhere where I had to build friendships. Hardly at all. Right. Because you're pastor of a church, fast growing, all that. So you're in relationship overload. We move up here. We don't know anyone. We don't have a church home. I am not Pastor Greg in the community, which is actually really fun, Kurt. But I'm just Greg, and nobody knows what I do. And so, you know, like we're meeting people, walking our dogs, talking to them, and, you know, and trying to build relationships, you know, crazy stuff like that, trying to find a new church, which we've never had to do. And we've landed at this amazing church that's completely diverse and, let me tell you a great God story, Kim, that you asked about. So we just finished last night. We joined a five week course on Tuesday nights. There are about 30 people in it. It's strength strength finders for ministry, right? So Jewel, I've already been through strengths finders and stuff. So the primary reason we did this was to meet people at the church. So we go in and we're in this church and it's about 60% people of color, 40% white. And last night they had a graduation service for us to, we got our, you know, our our little strength certificates and I've got mine framed here on my desk. And so we had to go up and say, what was the, the single most meaningful thing from this class? Mine was, and you know, it's so humbling to stand in front of a group and say, it was just so healthy for me to be in a room that's not filled with white people. Now I like white people. I love white people, right? But I can't tell you the beauty of diversity, and to be sitting at tables and discussing and sharing lives from different points of view and different cultural and ethnic backgrounds. So that was mine. The very next guy that gets up, his name's Jordan. And he's an African-American man who has left his previous church on a very similar journey as me. Really fascinating. Now he's an African-American man. And he stands up and he says, the most meaningful thing to me, is that I'm not sitting in a room with all black people. I'm just floored, right? Because that's, that's what the whole kingdom diversity thing's about. It's all of us saying we wanna be together, we wanna worship, we wanna serve God, regardless of race or ethnicity or culture. Like that was a God moment for me. I, I, Julie and I talked the whole way home about it, just how healing it is. So we're living in a community now where we're the minority for the first time in our lives. And, and you know, Kurt, I've been down the road a ways, right? So we're still here kind of looking at, you know, what would be the autumn of our ministry probably, and going, yes, God, whatever you need to do to help make us more like Jesus, we're willing to say yes, and, and we're willing to move. And the other challenge, Kim, I think was, we were really concerned about our son. Would he make the transition from an all-white school to a school where the African-American community is the majority? And he's done amazingly well, what it turned out we had nothing to worry about he's He's done incredible, but man, we begged God. I remember the the first week he went to school i mean i every morning I was begging Dad, my God, to protect my son and watch over him and bring him good friends because it's one thing when you make a move and you understand the call of God, but when it affects your whole family, you know it's a much scarier. Proposition, so that was a that was a big challenge. But Elijah knows why we made the move, and he knows why we're up here, and so it's it's been good
1: for our whole family. What's been his perspective on all of this?
2: Uh, you know, it was a fascinating thing, um, Kurt. First of all, we had to make crystal clear to Elijah that we weren't moving to Cleveland because of him. Because a lot of people, you know, they just kind of assumed, oh yeah, you have a black son, so you want to move where where more black people are. And that was not the reason we moved. We moved because God was calling us here, and we knew for our sanctification process, Julie and I needed to live in a community where we were not the majority. So we really clearly explained that to Elijah, so he didn't bear the weight of that. But you know, I mean, you know you you raised kids in a in a pastor's church planter's home, you know, and they never know what to expect right It's like what's God going to call you to next so I think for him, it was just part of the journey, and he fought us on it, but mostly because he'd been in the same house his whole life, you know he had to make all new friends, and that we we knew we had a closed window if if we didn't move now before he became a freshman, we'd probably never make the move. And so that, that was the prompting. And fortunately, you know, we got it locked in with the great interest rates right before the market went up and our house sold for more than we thought it would. And so we were able to set aside money to be generous with that, which is so fun, right? When you follow God and he blesses you in every way. And, it, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. But man, this time our marriage is stronger than ever than it's ever been because it's forced us to rely on each other more, and because we can't just let our dogs out in the yard, Kim, and let them run around the you know three acres to go to the bathroom. So we have to walk the dogs four times to get you know a day. And uh, in Cleveland weather, if you can imagine, that's not going to be a real treat. Uh, <laughs> but but it is right now because we get to walk together and talk and stuff. So it's good.
1: So Elijah is your son. Yeah. What has he said in like since you've moved there? He fought you on moving there. I'm just curious as literally some of the things he shared with you, if that's okay for you to share.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's he doesn't come home and say, Man, I'm so glad we moved here what he says is he likes it here now here's here's the really spiritual side of it the first day he comes home from school and julie and i walked down to the rta train and you know met him at the stop you know just to celebrate his first day and i said well how was it and he said did you like it and he said well dad the pizza's better here than it was in my other school and so it's good i like it here and i'm like well okay all right as long as the pizza's good everything's right with the world You know, Kurt, that's that's kind of the conversations we have, you know, by week three, um, you know, we're having the friendship talk. Have you made any friends? Yes, I've made five. Well, tell us about them. And this is fascinating with young people, right? He he says, I have five friends. He tells us their names and where he met them and what classes they're in together and stuff. And then, of course, Julian are asking, you know, we want to know, well, are they all white kids? Are they, you know, African-American kids? Are they Asian kids? What's going on? You know, Elijah's not even thinking that way. He's not even thinking in terms of color. He's just saying, yeah, there's Bruce and Cindy and Tom. And, you know, but there were three people of color and two white kids. Now for Julia and I, that really warmed our heart because, you know, that's what we want as well. Now, Kurt, I'm gonna be real confessional here because this is talking about our brokenness and God bringing it to healing. So I'm a huge Ohio State Buckeyes football fan. You know, I I have to, because otherwise I would just have the Browns and that's just deadly. So the Ohio State Buckeyes give me something, you know, to do on the weekends and cheer somebody to cheer for. And so in this condominium, there's like lots and lots of units here. And so dog walking, we met this African-American woman. We met our 25-year-old son. She's a single mom and her two daughters who are twins. And they go to the Ohio State University. okay and so we met them over the summer, walking our dogs, became friends with them. So just a few weeks ago, we invited them over to our house to watch an Ohio State Buckeyes football game. She comes over with her 25 year old son. Her two twin daughters come home from Ohio State University so they can come over. And we spend the afternoon watching football and eating chili and other stuff and just talking and doing life. And they leave after the game's over. And of course, Ohio State destroyed the other team because they're the best team in the country. But as they leave, and this is going kind to of be the confession time, I said to Julie, I said, Julie, that's the first time we've had an African American on our family that we're not helping just as a friendship for purely social reasons in our home for like something like that. First time ever, Kurt, that's awful. Now I've had, I have dinner with people of color. We serve church planters of color. I I stay in the homes of people of color when we globally plant and I travel there. When we've had Julie's big, you know, little sister that's been in our home and on vacation with us, but actually ever having a family in our home who was, you know, of African-American descent and, watching a football game together and laughing and sharing life the first time man it was beautiful and i hope it happens a million more times in our lifetime soon we'll be getting invited into all of their homes but i'm going that's just not okay greg it's just not okay but that's the breaking right you're aware of that and then you start being intentional and then you actually start doing stuff making the changes necessary that god's calling you to
1: the scripture that comes to mind is Revelation 22, the reflection of Ezekiel 47. The river of life flowing out and on both sides is, is the tree of life and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. And Jesus says to us, as he's talking to a Samaritan woman who his, his Jewish culture hated, he says to her, if you knew who's talking to you, then you would ask me for a drink and i would give you a living stream that would flow out of you to everyone around you and so obviously for those of us who have been in ministry a while and who follow jesus a while we understand that living stream that is for the healing of the nations is the holy spirit and so my in the time we have left my curiosity is what spiritual practices have you been doing that have helped you tap into the river of life, the Holy Spirit, who heals the nations, right?
2: You know, one, Kurt, is a a moment-by-moment recognition. This is so fun for me, that God called us to Cleveland where we live now for our healing being done by people of color to us rather than for us to be here with an attitude of we've come to heal this community. And that's such a shift in worldview where you're submitting yourself to go, we're the ones who are broken. We need you to heal us, help in that process and offer us grace and teach us. So there's kind of that daily submission in that way. More than ever, I think that my spiritual spiritual coaches, directors, whatever we wanna call them, I meet with, Mindy Caliguire and Wes Stafford once every quarter. You know, I've been doing that for two years now. And then I have another person I meet with once a month. He's a spiritual director. And, you know, they, they've really been working hard on me because it is hard ground to, to till on listening and solitude and silence. I, I just don't do it. No surprise there, Kurt. I don't do that well. For me, it, it, there's a lot of time spent now in reflection a lot of time spent in just sitting in silence and letting God's love envelop me and making sure my identity is grounded in him. um, and not in my skin color, um, not in my gifting, not in my position. A lot of times that's just me sitting in a chair meditating on be still and know that I am God, you know, and Greg Nettles not. And so it's kind of interesting. It's more, it's for me, it's been more quiet disciplines, I guess, which just so you know kim those are way harder for me to practice like i have no problem reading a proverb every day you know coinciding with the day of the month i don't have a problem reading a chapter out of the gospels every single day um i have my journal here you know I've, i've been a journaler for most of my life i read a lot if i say i'll pray for you i pray for you right but man when it comes to just listening and sitting in silence before god and solitude those are not greg nettle And so that's a whole learning experience for me. But it's been really good because then God begins revealing himself in people and situations and you become more aware of his presence. You know, moment by moment would be my end game goal there. I'm not even nearly there yet. But, you know, the moment by moment friendship with God is where I would hope to get.
1: Yeah, I say it this way. I say when you become more attuned to God's movement internally, you become more attuned to his movement externally.
2: That's gold. That's it right there. Yep.
1: So what is difficult for you in that process? You said that listening and stillness and silence and solitude is difficult. What makes it difficult for you? Because I think that is probably, (laughs) let's be honest, across the Big C Church in the West, that is difficult. And maybe you sharing what makes it difficult and how God is speaking into that will be helpful for other people.
2: Yeah, so I think first of all, Kurt, we do have to own that it's a Western problem, primarily. Practices around the world, quietness, stillness, meditation, in a very godly way, are just, they're like the top of the line practices. But in the West, we're about performance and doing and bringing ourselves up by our own bootstraps and all that stuff. Oh man, I in class last night, somebody said, you know, we're so proud of bringing ourselves up by our own bootstraps, unless you were born into a home where you had no boots. You know, those are the things you listen for and you go, oh, man, thank you, God. That's the way we think, though. See, I I grew up in a community. I lived in a family where I had the privilege of growing up and I had boots. And so by nature, then, my natural spiritual practices are to pull on those bootstraps, to work hard for Jesus and to produce and pray and, you know, do all those things. It's not to be silent. It's not to be still. But if you're in, an, in a community or an environment where you got born into somewhere, there's nothing on your feet. And so you've got to just wait and sit and be still before God to even begin for him to lift you up, right? And so I think that's a big difference between, you know, our Western culture and the rest of the world. So for me, you know, I, I think it's almost like I can tick off the boxes, Okay, I read Proverbs chapter two, you know, today's November 2nd that we're recording this. So I read Proverbs chapter two today. I read my next chapter in the Gospel of John as I'm going through that, right? I look at my prayer list of people I pray and I can check all those things off. So West Stafford and Mindy, I love these friends. But like their daily practice is to sit in silence before God for an hour to start each day. Now, they've, they've said we can't do it every day, but that's their general normative practice, right? For me to sit in a chair for an hour straight, if I'm not watching TV or reading a book, yeah, that's just not happening. You know, so they were very gracious. I'm trying to do 10 minutes a day now, Kurt, where I sit in silence just for 10 minutes and go, okay, God, what do you want to say to Greg Nettle today? And a lot of times it's just God telling me he loves me because we need to hear that, right? I mean, church planting's hard. Leadership's hard. Being a normal Christian in everyday life, a mom, a dad, a child, it's all hard. And to be reminded of God's love. And then, God, is there anything else you want to say to me? That's the one I'm working on most. But that's why, that's why it's difficult, Kurt, because I would much rather check off a to-do list that I can do than actually sit quietly and listen to what God has to say to me. That's really good. Thank
0: you. And on that note... So normally we like to wrap this up if you're okay with it, Greg. If you could just pray for anyone who's going to be listening, that'd be awesome.
2: Father God, what a joy it is to just get, spend time with Kurt and Kim here right now. Just such fun to be rooted in your river of life. And God, I pray for any person that's listening right now, Father, that maybe is wrestling with, will they say yes to whatever you're calling them to? I pray that they will, that they'll say yes, and that you'll bring people around them that will help them with that yes, that they will receive healing as they say yes, that in that pain, but also then that joy and that laughter and that smile of yours, that they'll experience all of that, God. Holy Spirit, just work in our lives right now, in this moment. We open ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, speak to us, guide us, and then help us to say yes. In Jesus' name we
1: pray. Amen. Amen. Greg, I just want to affirm, you are following Jesus into things he is calling you to do. You are saying yes to Jesus for you. And it is blessing us and everyone listening today. Believe me when I tell you you this. You are a blessing. You You just keep saying yes. That's all. That's all I'm saying.
2: I'll do my best. Thank you so much for letting me be on this. And it really was raw for me because that's the first time I've spoken about any of those stories publicly. And so it was healthy for me to do that, just to process a little bit. So thanks for that privilege.
1: Thank you for saying yes to us because this has Mm -hmm. been an honor, really. So thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Life Hurts, God Heals. And if you're curious to know more about us and what we offer, we are part of a larger organization called Elevate Slow, which is a disciple-making movement intent on seeing the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, planted in every culture around the world. If you'd like more information, you can go to our website, elevateslow.com. That's elevateslo.com. And as always, please remember that you are God's beloved, so be loved.